struggle as the early church, but uh, you know, we try. But it's good, uh, it's good to see everyone. It's good to see some new faces. I hope to meet all of you um, if I haven't met you. Um, good to be here. I think I, um, I, think I, li- I, I think I overdid it at a wrestling tournament. I was coach and I was shouting a little bit too much, so you'll have to bear with me. Um, I, I, I do have to share a bit of bad news uh, that we need to pray for. Um, Mike Begalso sent me a text early, early, probably at five in the morning. Um, there, if you guys recall, we have a couple, a young couple with a little baby, Sam and Jaslyn and um, little baby Gianna. They've been visiting our church for about, it's probably four weeks. They were at our anniversary and we were just getting to know them and they're a sweet couple. Um, apparently they were up, um, they live in, uh, their, their parents and all of their folks, they were up for Thanksgiving um, up in Ukiah and Jaslyn got into a severe car accident and she injured her spine. Her spine. And so she's in surgery. Um, she's going to have a six-hour surgery, and the doctors don't know if she's going to walk again. So it's incredible because we were just having Dickie's barbecue with them out there in the next table, and now she's looking at never being able to walk. I think I don't. I don't even think she's past her thirties, um, and they have a young baby. So. Um, I texted Sam early this morning, and incredibly, he, j- he prayed, pray that my wife would regain her legs, but if not, just pray for happiness and strength uh, for this new chapter. So uh, it is, moms, you know how tough it is to have a newborn, uh, I mean to have a toddler, and it is tough to have a toddler with no legs. So we're going to pray, and pray that God does a miracle. Let's pray, okay? Um, Father, we pray for Jaslyn. We pray for Sam Gutierrez. We pray for uh, baby Gianna. God, in your infinite wisdom, you've allowed this to happen. God, we, we trust in your sovereignty. It is the pillow in which we lay our heads in. Father, uh, in this fallen world, we do not know why this has ha- happened. But we do pray, we believe in a God who changes and who grants miracles and who heals people. And so, Father, we pray, would you guide the doctor's hands? Would you move on them? Would you help them? We pray for miraculous restoration of the use of her legs. It's going to be a long haul. God, we just pray that you would please do that. We also pray, as Sam would ask, uh, for happiness, joy in Christ. He can give us joy in the midst of trial and strength for these next coming days. Lord, would you help us as a church to to learn how we can help even from afar? We pray you would do that work. And God, we pray for this morning. Uh, Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear? Father, would you uh, uncover old strongholds of our our minds that might have been capturing things or um, 
wrong views that need to be humbled and submitted to Christ. We pray you would help us to see this. Holy Spirit, would you teach us through your word? God, would you guard my mouth? May it be only that which is scripture. For that is what truly glorifies Christ. And so we pray for the edification of the church. We pray for the salvation of those who do not know him. We pray for conviction. We pray for healing. We pray you would do that work that only you could do. You can take the things of a fallible man as he preaches so long as he is true to the text and you can take it and pierce our hearts and change us for eternity. We believe that. We pray you would do that work in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going into, we're still following our passage. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The title of this sermon is called Exposing Counterfeit Spiritual Gifts. Now I know I'm going to tread on some very dangerous ground here. But exposing counterfeit spiritual gifts gifts. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We only are going to go through verses 1 to 3. We're not going to be able to finish this passage. I think there's too much and there's a lot of questions that need to be answered, a lot of help for the Christian as he or she grows and matures in the faith. As many of you know, I was, um, I was given the privilege of being able to be a professor in uh, South Asia, and as we were there, we had pastors from many different denominations come, and we were training them to preach the Word of God in its entirety, clearly, accurately, from the text, to find its motivation, to find its meaning, to find its structure from the text itself. And we had a student there who came from a charismatic background, And uh, he was telling us how very important it is to understand the biblical definition and the doctrine of spiritual gifts and to have it exercised in the local church properly because if it isn't, it's disastrous. And he began to unveil and he began to tell the story of himself. And as the tears started to roll down, we could tell that this was still very poignant and very strong. Our dear brother in Christ, he said, you know, I just came out of that background. And Angelo, um, I, I, and Dan, he was a young man. And he's, he says, I was engaged uh, to a beautiful gal uh, on a different part of the country. And she was, um, she had tuberculosis. Oh, here in the U.S., we're not really... That's really not a thing for us as much, right? But there in the third world countries, it is. And she had tuberculosis, and we have the medication for it. They had the medication for it, but their pastors and their elders abusing what is supposed to be a spiritual gift, counterfeiting, I would say being a charlatan. We're telling him, well, you know, God is telling me that you shouldn't tell your fiancé to take this medication. And God is telling me 
that if you don't have, that if you don't do, if you don't stop the medication, you are not exercising faith. And the poor man, young man, excited for Christ, having just come to Christ, wanting to do what Scripture says, wanting to do, submitting to his elders, but not clearly understanding spiritual gifts, said, well, these are elders, they must be right. And he followed. And he, as, as this student was telling us, he started weeping in class because his fiance didn't make it from a simple disease of tuberculosis, of which we do now have the medication. Now, you might say, well, that's the, an extreme case. It absolutely is, brothers and sisters. But let me tell you, this is one of the most confusing doctrines in all of Christendom. God calls you to understand the uh, express proper understanding of spiritual gifts and its use in the local church. False prophecy is rampant in Scripture. It's no longer the Lord has said, it's God has told me. So if the, what the Lord has said is in opposition of what God has told me, they're saying, well, you can't really tell me that because God has told me. So then there's a higher authority. There's disorder in the church such that what they believe is a display of the Spirit is actually, as we shall see, more pagan than it is Christian. There's falling in the Spirit. Please understand, I'm not making this stuff up. There's falling in the Spirit. There's laughing in the Spirit. There's modern day speaking in tongues. There's throwing up in the Spirit. Plagues the church. It harms the witness. It misleads Christians. It breaks down rather than builds up. And it ultimately clouds the gospel. Christ is not glorified then by the clear preaching of the gospel and the word of God because the emphasis is now on everything else except Christ himself. But Christ, by God's grace, he gives us very clear teaching uh, regarding true spiritual gifts and the counterfeit of spiritual gifts so that you as a believer can mature, can discern, and can practice. God wants you to practice your spiritual gifts for the edification of the church. Now you notice in verses 1 through 11, there's going to be a big section, and I'm just going to give this to you as a preview. Verses 1 to 3 is really the testing of spiritual gifts. Verses 4 to 7 is really the purpose and the source of spiritual gifts. You know, now there are a variety of gifts with the same spirit. We're going to handle that um, in the weeks to follow. Verses uh, 8 through 11 is this wonderful uh, text on the varieties or the giving of different gifts that God does give to his people. But our text is for this morning is the testing, or as our sermon title would say, is the exposing of counterfeit spiritual gifts. Verses 1 to 3 reads like this, if you would follow along. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren... I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. 
Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Here's my preaching point for today. Coming from the text, God gave this passage to you so that you would expose and protect the church for the use, from the use, excuse me, of counterfeit spiritual gifts. Let me read that again. I think I butchered it. God gave this passage to you so you would expose and protect the church from the use of counterfeit spiritual gifts. And of course, this is always linked for the clarity of the gospel and for the glory of Christ in submission to him. This is how he wants us to conduct ourselves. This is how he desires for us to grow. We are not to be naive nor gullible in this area. The biblical doctrine of the use and application of spiritual gifts. Notice he says verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Very clear. This is what he is talking about. The biblical doctrine of the use and application of spiritual gifts is one of the most misunderstood doctrines in all of Christianity today. It is so important that if you don't know how the church is to operate, then you truly won't know how to, act, how to do church when we say we do church. There is always, not just this doctrinal statement, the statement of faith that everyone shares, that many in the Christian faith share, we're all under the same pale of orthodoxy, those who would be considered Christians. But now we're talking about the philosophy of ministry and how now, if this is true, then how shall we live? The way we live is always connected to how we believe what we believe about God and what we believe about Scripture. It is always connected. A strong belief in God and His clear doctrine creates a strong belief and a strong practical application. One that has no bearing on truth at all can be moved as the waves of doctrine are. If the Bible is not the final arbiter of truth and practice, then proclivities, desires, and naive views can take hold. The church is not a social club. We are not here simply for nice pastries in the morning and coffee. The church is an, organi- is an organism, rather. It's the body of Christ that God has brought us together with Christ as the founder and head. It is a supernatural group of people whom he has redeemed and brought together for his glory and for the edification of one another. That's why we're brought together. We're supposed to use our gifts. True spiritual gifts exercised in the church are for its edification. Now, this is going to run through in the weeks to come. It is for the edification of the local church and witness to Christ's care for his body. The way that Christ cares for the church is actually us exercising our gifts of helps, of administration, of preaching and teaching, of mercy, of giving, of all of those gifts that is, are listed in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, 1 Peter. But just like in Corinth, there are many counterfeit gifts and many that are either misunderstood or the abuse of spiritual gifts in the church today. We have absurd phenomena, absolutely absurd phenomena happening 
like uh, Bethel Church in Reading, um, also known as the Jesus Movement, with, with all of their music and all of the trappings that it entails. Uh, if you look at some of their videos, they believe that God's presence is coming out of an air conditioner vent with gold dust flying down. Benny Hinn waving his hand and dozens of people slain in the spirit. The prevalent occurrence of healing services when there is no biblical precedent to have it. Sadly, sadly, unbelievers see the charade when professing believers follow headlong with the latest false spiritual fact. It is very clear Paul is answering many of the same questions you may have today. As, as one commentator says, here are some of the questions. What are the spiritual gifts? Do all Christians have them? How do you know which one do you have? These are all very common, um, uh, common lessons and doctrines that we as Christians should know. Why is it important to have a stance on spiritual gifts? What is the baptism of the Spirit and what does it have to do with spiritual gifts at all? Are all gifts operative now? This is a big one. Are, are all gifts operative now or are there special times when they were? Can gifts be counterfeited and how can a believer discern? So number one, from verse one, grow in your discernment regarding true spiritual gifts. This is all by way of introduction. Grow in your discernment regarding true spiritual gifts. And you notice verse 1. Paul starts the chapter now concerning spiritual gifts. Now concerning. It really, really means just now in the second place. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 18. There were many problems in the, in the Corinthian church. And one of them was the abuse of, the, of communion. Verse 18 he says... For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. It's quite interesting. He says that in this first place. He's instructing the Corinthian church because there are abuses that are happening. And if you recall, what was happening is they would have a communion meal, and the, and the folks with the food would come earlier, and then when the folks who didn't have food, they would cut them out. And then there was partiality happening in the church, and rather than extending their unity as a church together they were dividing the church and folks were feeling hurt so one of the big problems in the church of Corinth the New Testament church was their misunderstanding of communion and the second one the big one now concerning this is spiritual gifts Spiritual gifts can be defined, as one person says, as they are divine enablements for ministry. Characteristics of Jesus Christ that are to be manifested through the body corporate, just as they were manifested through the body incarnate. They're, let me say it again. They're divine enablements, enablements for, for ministry. Characters, characteristics of Jesus Christ that are to be manifested through the body corporate, just as they are manifested through the body incarnate. Let me break that down. These are special gifts. They're not talents that you are born with. They are special enablements for ministry that come when you want something about it. You're pretty good at that. You're really good at that. And that's what happens with gifts. But notice that Paul is talking about these gifts 
to the brethren. This is a term that Paul adopted to technically designate believers. He's not saying the whole world are brethren or brothers and sisters. Even more specifically, since it is in this letter, this is to believers who are members of the Corinthian church, according to 1 Corinthians 1-2, to the church of God which is in Corinth. These are folks, not to belabor the point, but these are folks who know God created them to glorify him. These are folks who have confessed their sinfulness because they've been separated from God. These are folks who believe that Jesus is the son of God and lived and died and was resurrected and ascended. And these are folks who trust in Christ's person and work for salvation and him alone. Not anything I can do, but simply who Christ is. That is a brother and sister in Christ. And so Paul begins to instruct them. By the way, that's where you start, brothers and sisters. With false doctrine, you start at Christ. Don't start with spiritual gifts. Don't start with the, uh, the church polity, how it's supposed to be judged, how, how, how church is supposed to be ruled. Don't start whether we use plastic communion cups or glass communion cups. You start with Christ. Where are you with Christ? And so Paul continues and he says, I do not want you to be unaware, which is an interesting interesting phrase because we're starting to see now we look at the text and we're starting to see what is Paul saying he says I do not want you to be unaware and this has huge applications for us see Paul's very deep concern for the Corinthian Christians is to have a proper understanding of the Holy Spirit and how gifts operate This phrase was used elsewhere, Paul uses it, that you need to pay attention. Now that word unaware is, uh, if I said the infinitive word, it's agnoin in the Greek. But that's where we get the word, you can hear it. That's where we get the word ignorant, right? To not know. To be unaware of. To be ignorant of. To fail to understand. And so here is the implication for you, 2021 in Oceanside, okay? All of the weight is here. Paul is saying, as a growing Christian, you are called to, and you have all the resources through the scriptures and your local church to grow in your discernment regarding spiritual gifts. And let me cut it it short again. You have everything you need to grow in discernment. And in fact, you are responsible to grow in discernment. In fact, you are responsible to learn about it, to have a position on it that is biblical. You should have, as a growing Christian, no ignorance, no uncertainty, no lack of clarity in what are actual spiritual gifts and how to use them. Your local church will never mature, will never function rightly if people are doing different things all at the same time. And whether or not they have any biblical precedence. Well, I think this is what God wants me to do. Where does it say that in scripture? You say you're a Christian. Where does it say that? Where? Well, I I just have a feeling in my heart. Let me tell you. The Bible says that is a dangerous place to be. In fact, one of the stupidest things you could tell people is to follow your heart. Did you know that? The Bible says in Proverbs that he who follows his heart is stupid. That's what the Bible says. 
I don't even trust myself. I look at the scriptures. I don't trust myself. And then he says, you have to resist these ideas, brothers and sisters, that are going around. Why? Because Paul tells you. Here are the ideas that militate against you to learn more about spiritual gifts. Uh, I don't, I don't want to talk about it because it's too controversial. You heard that before? What would Paul say? I don't want you to be unaware. Okay? We're not even talking about spiritual gifts. We're not even there yet. Okay? Which ones are operative? Uh, cessationist or continuous? We're not even there yet. We're just saying, this is what Paul says. I don't want you to be unaware. Correct? Is that a hard argument? That's not. That's very easy, right? Or how about this? Here's another argument in Christendom that is said. Uh, It doesn't matter what doctrine you believe as long as you love one another. That is false. Why? Because Christ, through the Holy Writ, through the Holy Spirit, God tells us to not be unaware. Christ is the, right, he is, he is truth itself. And God's, and when someone says that doctrine doesn't matter, that is a slight to Christ himself. Why? Because everything about Christ is doctrine. It absolutely matters. The more accurate your belief in Christ, the more honoring your thoughts are of him. How about this? What's good for you is not good for me. It's not good for you. It's not good for me. That's good for you and your culture of your church. That's not good for me. You know, that's, that's not what the Bible says. Paul says you should be very clear on this. If you're not, you're going to be like the church in Corinth, which had divisions and factions and a lack of unity. Uh, one commentator said it this way, spiritual gifts are the Lord's primary channel of making Christians become Christ in the world, his visible and manifest body. And what does he mean by this? It is God, when God raises up his people, he makes a remarkable redeemed people, a unique people. He brings us together and folks start to, as they fall in love with Christ and they pursue his word and as they grow more and more in him, what happens is our gifts are displayed and we show the manifest beauty of who Christ is in all his glory. Look at 1 Peter. I don't know if we're ever going to finish this sermon. Look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter. This is another just brief phrase. 1 Peter chapter 4. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10. He says, As each one has received a spiritual gift, this is why I believe every single Christian, from the uneducated to the absolutely educated, from the poor to the rich, every there is no second-rate Christian Every single person has this remarkable gift or gift mix that God gives. He says, what's it say? Where am I? Verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it. Here it is. You're not, you're not saved to be in the bleachers. God saved you to be in the game. Okay. 
to be on mission in the church. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards. So primarily the, the gift is to be used in the local body. People say, well, I can serve God anywhere. That is true. But primarily, the where are you supposed to use your gifts? It says in the body. It's very clear from the context. He says, as good stewards, and here is this phrase I wanted you to see. The manifold grace of God. It is a wonderful, wonderful phrase. The word there, manifold, means to be displayed. Uh, in the Septuagint, it's the same word that was used as Joseph's cloak. Uh, the technicolor, variegated color. What is happening is when we as a church are doing and exercising our gifts, not for recognition from each other or from the world, but simply for the glory of Christ. When we do that, the Bible says that we display the manifold, the variegated colors of God's grace to the world and to each other. And I've been a recipient of that. I see how God has worked through your life. I see how God has done that through your life. And see, that is what happens when there is a healthy understanding, a biblical, doctrinal understanding of spiritual gifts, and it's exercising in the local church. And when you are not participating in that, brothers or sisters, if you are a Christian, if you are not participating in that, you are not getting... You are not getting that opportunity, that privilege to display Christ's glory in the very unique way that he has made you and gifted you. Uh, going back to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. See, this is how the gospel goes forth. In my experience, too many professing Christians have no real biblical back bone or discernment and then they're swept up sadly especially in our area here where everyone could believe whatever you want and still be a Christian it's amazing and they're swept up by any wave of doctrine they're not tied to the text they're not surrendering to the text as God has called us to be this has been a stumbling block to real and true growth we remember we had a, a Jeremy and I Many, many moons ago, Jeremy, we would say. Huh? Well, we would, we would teach a home fellowship group. Uh, we were back in Solano County before we were sent here and uh, planted the church. We would teach a home fellowship group, and it was just neat because we would see God just bring in people from different backgrounds, some who were unsaved, and then they got saved, some who, who uh, were antagonistic to the gospel and Christ just softened their heart and showed them his glory and I remember one such couple Couple, I think some of you might know them uh, Jerry and Buddy Connor they must be in their 70s or 80s right now right they were our, uh, our resident senior citizens in our Bible study and we loved them and they loved us and I asked them what their background was and where they came from and they said you know Angelo We've been in the charismatic church and we've been doing all these uh, speaking in tongues and listening to prophecy and having these all night prayer meetings and we are not hearing the word of God proclaimed and taught. And I have to tell you, when you we first came to the church and I finally heard biblical, expository, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered preaching 
tied to the text, I finally, after 30 years, started to grow. And, and Jeremy and I were, we were excited that we were mixed. We were excited that they were with us. But we were hurt because that, that is actually the norm. When you could have the richness of Christ. But what is happening is all the theatrics are taking over. And it clouds and it obfuscates the very vision and the beauty of Jesus Christ himself. And so they stayed with us until we moved to San Diego, right? They still love us. Sometimes they, you know, give a donation. They still love the church and they love, they believe that Christ is still working through us. And that's, this is what we want to help people with. To not be enamored with the trappings of modern charismatic theology, but to be enamored with Christ. So one, grow. Wherever you're at in this, grow. God calls you to grow. Maybe you had a bad experience in the past. Okay, praise the Lord you're here. God can work with that. Let's look at what the Bible says. Not what people feel, not what, people, what kind of emotions people have, not what kind of experience they have. And I ask them, where is that in the scripture? And they say, well, there's, uh, well, I experienced it. No, I want to know. Is what we are experiencing and what we are doing, is that what the scripture prescribes? If it isn't, then that's not what I want to be part of. Christ said to sanctify them in your truth. Thy word is what? truth. Not your experience is truth. Your word is truth. I judge what is true by the word of God, not by what I experience. Okay. My experiences themselves should be brought in light of scripture and be judged by the word of God. That's, I know I say these things, but this is almost like when I say this to the greater Christendom and a lot of my, I have brothers and sisters in different churches and everything. When I say that to them, they get offended. They get mad. Why? Because they say, oh, you're being divisive. And I'm just saying, no, I'm, I'm trying to do the Bible. That's all I'm trying to do. And I think by God's grace, that's where you need to be. I hope to convince you of that. So here we go. That was our first point. Oh boy. We're not doing very good in Flora's time. Huh? First, grow in your discernment regarding true spiritual gifts. Second, recognize the source of counterfeit spiritual gifts. Recognize the source of counterfeit spiritual gifts. Verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, man. What a nice intro. When you were a pagan, Jason, right? When you used to be a pagan, right? Angelo, right? And the reason why he says this is he, he's bringing uh, to the forefront the background of what's coming, in the, uh, what's happening there. In the Greco-Roman world, there were many mystery religions. And many of these folks came out of these mystery religions. For thousands of years, there were, um, and it still even influences even today, they believed in such things as baptismal regeneration, that you go into the water and then you're reborn. 
by the act itself, by the water itself, that the water has some kind of magical or mystical properties. They believed in asceticism, which is a harsh treatment of the body. They believed in flagellism, which would be I would uh, flagellate or beat myself. And a lot of uh, different traditions still follow that today. They believed in different pilgrimages, which is which has been uh, an influence to all uh, many religions even today. They believed in paying for forgiveness for self and for others. In Corinth, there is this view of religious ecstasy in the mystery religions. This is why this word pagan is so huge. Why does Paul say that? If you recall in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, And such were some of you. I love that. You used to be this, but now you're this. You used to be entrapped, enslaved, but now you are in Christ, set free. And so he's, so just to give you a little background, um, um, let me just read uh, this quote. Uh, the, ex, uh, the ecstasy was held to be a supernatural, sensuous communion with a deity. Through frenzied, hypnotic chants and ceremonies, Worshippers experience semi-conscious euphoric feelings of oneness with a god or goddess. Often the ceremony would be preceded by vigils and fastings and would even include drunkenness. Contemplation of sacred objects, whirling dances, you still see this in many traditions, right? Uh, fragrant incense, chants, and other physical and psychological stimuli customarily were used to induce the ecstasy, which would be in the form of an out-of-body trance or unrestrained sexual orgy. We know this in Corinth to be true. As you landed in the ports of Corinth, uh, the prostitutes would come down and meet the sailors and the merchants. And you can tell already because what? They had their heads shaved. Remember, we talked all about that. So this is, this is the morass of where the uh, culture was in the church. The trance is reflected in some forms of Hindu yoga. It's kind of very similar in which a person becomes insensitive to pain. Uh, if you even studied some of that, they have these poles even today where they put hooks on you and the, through the skin and they actually twirl around a pole. In the Buddhist goal of escaping nirvana, the divine nothingness, sexual ecstasies were common in many ancient religions and were so associated with Corinth that the term Corinthiais meant to indulge in extreme sexual immorality. So it would be like, uh, it would be like a slur. You would say, you're, you're such a Corinthian. That would be like a sexual profligate, a promiscuous person. Uh, even a temple to Bacchus, Bacchus was the god of uh, debauchery and wine. A temple to Bacchus will stand in the ruins of Baalbek, which is modern day Lebanon, as a witness to the debauchery of the mystery religions. A similar form of mystical experience was called uh, enthusiasm or enthusiasmos. That's where we get the word, right? Which often accompanied but was distinct from ecstasy. Enthusiasm involved mantic formulas, divination, revelatory dreams and visions and all were found in many pagan religions and philosophies today. And so Paul, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be aware. Now listen, this is amazing. He goes, you know that when you were pagans, 
now they go, oh, he's talking about me. And what was happening was this, was this word called syncretism, where instead of leaving all of the trappings of your old life, they were bringing it into the local church. And so they were confusing what the apostles did, the unique apostles of healing, of prophesying. They were confusing that with the ecstatic experiences that they had in the past. And so they were bringing that in and confusing that with spiritual gifts, which is the same thing today. I'd have to say. I dare you. Maybe I don't dare you to look at YouTube and see some of those, see what folks are calling worship. No, I don't dare you. Don't do it. (laughs) Maybe you'll get discouraged like me. Look at these people. They need Christ. They don't know the freedom that they have in Christ. The richness, the joy that they simply just would have in Christ, in Christ alone. So, the Corinthian church mixed and confused it with tongues, which were given in Acts chapter 2, which were distinct languages, is what the Bible says. They were distinct languages that they never spoke to. It was a sign at the beginning of the church. And then folks took that and now mixed it up into an ecstatic experience which actually caused divisions within the local church during the service. They wanted to experience it, so they manufactured them. They experienced that it they experienced that which is not even in scripture. See, it's very difficult, brothers and sisters. I don't know if you've ever if you've ever experienced this. I love talking to my kids because they, they get to go to uh, charter school, but it's public, and they talk to kids with different beliefs, and then they come back, and I go, okay, now what did you learn? Well, this person believes this, and this person believes this, and I say, well, what does the scripture say? And it's really quite neat. But it's very difficult, I've, I've realized, it's very difficult to speak to folks so entrenched, so entrenched in the supposed uh, sign gifts because their test of truth is no longer the Bible. It is their experience. It's kind of par for course with the culture, right? It's the test of truth is not facts anymore. It's their experience and how they feel about it. Sadly, even today, gullible, naive, worldly, I say this, gullible, naive, worldly, right? Self-centered Christians. I go to church because I want to see how it makes me feel. If I leave with a good feeling or a good experience, then that's, that's how I know that uh, church was good. Or thrill-seeking. I go to church because I want to see the next big thing, the next big production. You know, in those churches that, are, uh, that have um, dark lights and big, uh, big bands, and then uh, the attendance is anonymous. And folks aren't called to holy living. Folks aren't called to discipleship or accountability. 
They want to counterfeit gifts to invalidate um, or undermine true worship to Christ and the mission of the church. And what it comes down to is spiritual immaturity demonstrated by a lack of discernment. As we said before, today, if you are discerning, you are called unloving against unity. Whereby God, the apostle, is calling you to be discerning for the sake of true unity, for the glory of Christ. Don't fall for it. When folks say, I heard from God, or I spoke in a heavenly language, or I see the future for you, and you ask, and you ask it um, as God would have you do, Ask, and you ask and you question about it as God would have you do, they will say you are unloving against unity and you don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Yet, brothers and sisters, I submit to you that the Holy Spirit authored this scripture, told me to be discerning, told you to be discerning. And the Holy Spirit doesn't go against himself. Why would he write this? Right? And then tell us, and then all of a sudden we're not discerning about what, what true spiritual gifts are. No, the real, real essence of it, sadly, true spiritual, uh, one, one commentator said it this way, true spiritual gifts are given by God to strengthen and manifest oneness, harmony, and power. Satan's counterfeit gifts are meant to divide, to disrupt, and to weaken. God's gifts build up, Satan's counterfeits tear down. Notice he says here also, uh, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. The word there for mute is the same word for dumb, not unintelligent, but speechless, powerless, without a voice. One definition says, no idol primitive or sophisticated can answer a person's questions Give him revelation, assure him of truth, forgive him of sin, or endow him with dignity, meaning, and peace. Just as no unregenerate person can help being led into some form of idolatry, no idol can help being dumb. So what he's saying here is this. When we are pagans, when we were unsaved, we thought we were free, but the Bible says we were actually being led. It was taking us shackled. Yes, we were shackled and enslaved in our sins. And we thought we were free. By idols that can't do anything. And so for us to take some of those notions of our old life and to bring it into the local church and to mix it with the local church undermines scripture, undermines the proper understanding and application of spiritual gifts. Satan is the source of counterfeit gifts. Satan is the source of counterfeit gifts to undermine the church. That which is valued is always counterfeited. Grow in your discernment. God does not want you to be immature of true spiritual gifts. Recognize the source of false spiritual gifts that is Satan himself. Third, test all claims of supposed spiritual gifts. And God gives us a test. He says, therefore, I, have made, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. 
Apparently in the church, this is amazing, they would say, well, I have this utteration, I have this prophecy, and they would say things publicly, and they would actually curse Jesus' name. They would say, in my prophecy, I would curse his name. And the... Um, Speaking in the spirit, manifesting some gift of prophecy or teaching while cursing the name of the Savior and Lord, they were supposed to be worshiping. A curse while cursing the name of the Savior and Lord, they were supposed to be worshiping. A curse, anathema is the word, refer to severe condemnation. To say that Jesus is a curse is to condemn his nature, his character, and his person, not to mention his holiness and glory. So they were saying, I'm gifted, look at me. I'm gifted, look at me. Let me speak in tongues. Let me prophesy. I have a word for you. And then they would curse Jesus' name. And the folks in the church, because they had no discernment, this is always what happens, brothers and sisters. When the people of God do not know the word of God, they are always subject to false teaching. This is why the preachers must be preaching Christ, preaching, preaching the word of God. And I do blame them. I do blame them. I partially, I blame them partially, and I blame the congregations partially for not holding them accountable to holding to the scriptures. And they both work hand in hand to remain immature, gullible, and undiscerning. And so what happens is they're subject to every wind of doctrine, is what the Bible says. If a, if a, one commentator said it this way, if a person holds a, a derogatory view of Jesus Christ, then what he says and does is not of God. If you view Christ poorly and you curse Christ, then what you say and what you do is not of God. We should always compare teaching or practice with God's word. That is the test of its being of the Holy Spirit. A Christian today cannot receive any new revelation. The only way to be sure if something is spiritual is if something is spiritual is to be sure if it is scriptural. Did you get that? That's what's going to give you clarity, brothers and sisters. How do I know it's spiritual? Is it scriptural? How do I know it's of God? Is it, does it say that in the scriptures? How do I know this is going to honor Christ? Does it honor him indeed? If it agrees with scripture, a new revelation from the spirit is unnecessary. Listen to that. That's very, very telling. If it agrees with scripture, if some, someone says, I have a word from God, and it agrees with scripture, a new revelation from the spirit is unnecessary. Do you see? Why did you say it then? Why did you have to say that maybe God gave it to me? Why did you have to say I had this special revelation in my bed and I saw Jesus at the foot of my bed? And he spoke to me. Why do you have to say that? If what you're saying is the same thing as the scripture, then why don't you just say the scripture? Then he says here, secondly, um, If it does not agree with scripture, a new revelation cannot be from the spirit and is false. So you get it? If it agrees with scripture, then it's unnecessary. If it doesn't agree with scripture, then it's false. Brothers and sisters, as we go back to what Peter says, you have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything pertaining to life and 
godliness. From his fullness we all have. Colossians says, amen? No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Paul is, of course, speaking of sincere confession from the heart. True confession is based on true faith, of which obedience, as one commentator says, to God's word is the true mark. Confessing Christ as Lord means nothing unless it involves affirming who he really is and obeying what he commands. And here, how do you know it's from the Spirit, brothers and sisters? The Holy Spirit always leads men to ascribe lordship to Jesus Christ as one indivisible and per divine person to be obeyed completely. So, as we start this section, I'm going to end here to remember to grow in your discernment of true spiritual gifts, to protect the church, to protect your family. Please, I know families who have been split. And you try and even converse about it and they can't even talk to you about scripture. To recognize the source of false spiritual gifts. If there is false spiritual gifts, where is it coming from if not from God? I would venture, for you, I would venture to say from Satan himself. It says when you were a pagan, when you were enslaved, that's what you used to do. And lastly, to test all claims of supposed spiritual gifts by its fidelity and its loyalty to Christ himself. Amen. 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 So we don't have to be in this morass of confusion. God wants us to be clear. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you. Edify us. Build your church. I think of the young folks uh, in this church. I think of folks who've never heard this, that there's actually clarity. People keep saying that there's controversy when there is clarity. We pray, Father, you would do this work. Bind us together. Help us to excel in good works and to use our gifts. Father, we want to see all our, our uh, we want to see our young folks excel in good works and glorify Christ. Help us to sing this song. Bless the fellowship in Jesus' name. Amen.